Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. All right, folks. Well, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. My name is Adam Jones. And I'm Cameron Horine. And we're back today um, discussing a topic near and dear to most of us anyway. Most of us who uh, enjoy a good steak, I guess. Uh, what we're going to talk about today um, are those uh, little nuggets of gold that lie in a lot of our freezers and, and how, we, how we get them there and how we get them there from our own farm. And so th- this came up obviously fairly pressingly here through, through COVID and during some of the shortages at the supermarket and, and some of the craziness that, that has happened with all that. Um, some folks have, have looked at raising their own meat, right? So we, uh, we've got a farm, we've got the pasture, we've got the cows in some scenarios. Let's, uh, let's start keeping one or, or buying nursery pigs and, and feeding them out. We've got a, a great guest with us today to, to kind of discuss this topic. Um, Teresa Carlson is a livestock specialist um, for MFA. And Teresa, you want to give us a little background and kind of the the Teresa Carlson introduction? Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Teresa Carlson was raised on a farm around Boonville, Missouri, and then uh, went to college, got an animal science degree at Mizzou, and then came back to the farm. And my brother was back and my dad said, someone needs a job. (laughs) So that's how this originated. And MFA came on the farm to talk to me about the nursery building we had. And I said, yes, I would be interested in a job. And so take a look at that's how we started. Yeah. Interviews and came out there. So then I went to work for MFA in 1983. Yeah, as I say, you tell that story like it happened six months ago. <laughs> Long time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was before I was born, even. So, well, um, say we don't even have an MFA doesn't even have nursery buildings anymore. Yeah, yeah. So no, that's that's cool. And tell us a little bit about what you do now, kind of on a daily basis. Okay, on a daily basis, I work with. Um, the um, livestock sales team that we have together in the northeast corner of the state. And I also work with um, the store employees to help them with anything they might need as far as discussing rations and things with producers. And I also work with producers on a daily basis. I got you. So kind of walking through those some of those conversations about like, what do I, you know, I bought, I went to a sale and my wife bought this goat and I don't know what to feed it. Like that, I feel like that's a real thing. But sure, happens happen every to, day. Could happen to me at some point, which is why it's kind of from mine. But anyway, those kind of decisions, like they'll they'll call you and, and ask advice. Sure. Okay. If our store person is not um, capable of covering a topic, that that's the first person they're supposed to reach out to is their livestock specialist. I got you. Okay. Cool. So what we kind of want to talk about is I think there's been some folks recently here, maybe more or less so than than later in and. Feel free to jump in too if you've heard something or there's something going on out there that you've noticed as well um, about kind of keeping meat on the farm and, and finishing it out and either marketing that somewhat locally or um, or just for personal consumption. I mean, there's there's guys that have um, you know fed calves out for the last 20 years but may never have actually kept one for themselves. Just talking a little bit about that process and maybe what what decisions we need to be making on um, on a ration and then just kind of how to treat that animal as as we get it ready to go. So so I guess the first thing that that comes to mind is that a lot of times we're we're dealing with um, with feeder calves that we've probably kept, right? So that's, you know, that's 5 600 pound calf. What 
Um, and I know this varies a little bit by breed, and I'll let you get into as much or as little detail as you'd like to. But what, what's that time frame look like? And and was our target weight for for say a steer that we want to keep? So we've got a feeder calf, we've got a, ca- a calf on, on still with mama. Um, what can we expect from a time frame for for that? And um, and then how big are we looking to get that animal? Okay. That can vary all over the place. Sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> depending it depends, on what size it, you want to start it, with. It but, depends um, is the best podcast answer ever. So, but, <laughs> so let's just say, for instance, if you start with a 500-pound calf and we want to go to 1,300 pounds to finish, then we're talking eight months plus, you know, sometime okay. in there. Seven, eight. depends on how hard you push this calf and okay. how fast you want to, what kind of gains you want to achieve. Right. of what you're doing here but and what you have to work with as far as feed stuffs um the forage that you have the quality and what else you're working with and corn on the farm or if you need to buy a, a mix from your store or I got you. different options but we've got various rations and a lot of our livestock people at our stores can help with these situations you just need to come in and discuss with them what you have and how to make it work and we can Sure. Fit something to fit your operation specifically. I Does that you. help? Yeah. But some general guidelines are we're going to finish somewhere in that 1,300 pound range okay. unless you, it, with normal breeds. Let's go that way. Okay. Like an Angus cross steer, something like that. We're going to finish in there. If you've got a large frame animal, then they're going to be finished more than 1,400, 1,500 pounds. Right. Okay. So, yeah, that was something I was going to, you know, just while we're sitting here, you know, is it it's something you have to, I guess I should say, is it something you have to consider when you're thinking about finishing on what the, you know, what the carcass weight is? Because yes. if you're if you're wanting so much, you know, if you're wanting to process and have so much meat, kind of, is there a guideline of kind of percentage wise what the carcass weight is compared to, you know? Sure. Yes, you want, and that's why I'm probably going to tell you to stay with a commercial cross type animal right. in a smaller one because. Um, if you're, if you have a large carcass animal, you're also going to have large steaks, large and a large amount, but also I think you would like a smaller type ribeye, um, circumference, things like that. So stick with a smaller framed or an angle, you know, a regular crossbred animal that'll give you a little more of a commercial quality, but you want a quality calf. Don't mistake what I'm saying for not having a quality animal to start with. Yeah. And sometimes and that's hard. Pick, yeah. Yes. Don't pick the runt out of your yes. herd to and, keep for yourself. Or, that's what and, you're saying. and that's what a lot of producers do because something happens, they injure a leg or something, or it's a knothead and that's what they end up, what they're on their own farm. And then they've never actually had any of their best quality meat that's on their farm. So they don't yeah. know. But um, if you're going to go to have somebody buy an animal for you because you want to finish one in your backyard, mm-hmm. Um, have somebody that knows what they're doing buy you an animal at the sale barn okay, or from a neighbor that has cattle, things like that, to get a good quality animal so that you'll have a lot better quality meat when you're finished with this product. Yeah. 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 You hit it on the head a lot of times. And I, I grew up with livestock, you know, I don't know how many times you have a small calf or something that hurt their leg or something like that. And we'll say, oh, we'll just throw him in the feedlot with the others. And if anything, we'll just make it into hamburger or something like that. And if you do do that, then that's what I suggest, hamburger. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's right. what I suggest. <laughs> right. Right. No, that, those are good thoughts, especially on the on the time frame distance where where it's a um, it's a good point that, you know, a lot of us don't have a, a feedlot basically in our backyard. And so that's typically not what we're going to be doing with that animal. 
knowing kind of that that general time frame because we have to be cognizant of you know like when you can get a locker appointment yes. too and thinking ahead you know like if you're purchasing basically if you're sending somebody to the sale barn today to buy you that 500 pound calf we probably need to be thinking about when that animal is going to be done i mean i, yes. I think that's probably the yes. the time frames that you've heard from some of the processors yes. so if you you need to look out eight months five months whatever the size animal you start with so my suggestion to you if this is the first time you've ever done this is you need to find a locker that you're close to that you want to have it processed at and then see what their schedule looks like and then buy your animal accordingly yeah. to that and then talk to your MFA livestock person about what ration will get you that animal there in that time frame. That's an excellent thought process because a lot of times we, yeah, we have one with the busted leg or something. You're like, oh, I'm going to need this six weeks from now. That's not typically an option anymore. <laughs> not in today. No, not since, not since COVID's happened, that's yeah. for sure. You know, it used to be a lot more flexible, but at least the last time we scheduled something, you were yeah. four or five months booked out at a locker and you either could get in because they had somebody cancel or you just had to be on the wait list and just you were going to end up with a lot bigger finished steer. Sure. <laughs> and that happens. Yeah. And so just be cognizant of that, that um, you need to know where you're going with it on the final deal and what you want done with it. Sure. And go from there. And there's lots of avenues. So. We can help, and there's lots of other lockers, but in That's right. you know, it depends on how many you're doing, and I don't know when you're going to get into how you're selling this, but right yeah. down the line. Yep. No, and I think it's a good, you know, it's one of those COVID things that that might might be kind of a diamond in the rough type scenario. I think it woke some people up to the mm -hmm. fact that um, hey, there's beef running around the field that's two miles from my house. Yeah. I don't have to go to Walmart and buy something that was brought in from Brazil. Correct. <laughs> um, and so there are some some things like that that have come from this that I feel like can be positive. Um, and so I, you know, I think embracing that local marketplace or, or my goodness, just you know, eating your own product. Mm -hmm. type farmers scenario. markets. Yeah. Farmers markets are a good outlet for this now. There's a lot more people participating in farmers market. Or say you want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, going down the future, but that's one thing that's came out of this is. Since people have been buying this meat, this process locally, they like it better. And well, so now they want more of it. <laughs> have you bought a steak from Walmart recently? Correct. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously they like it better. Their quality's improving, but they're not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> but they are getting better. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's just one of those things too. We've seen it growing is people are more interested in knowing exactly where their food is coming from. It's oh, just, sure. I mean, we, you know, we've discussed it a lot and just people and it's it's easier for somebody who knows hey you know i'm buying that steer that's four mm -hmm. miles down the road on the neighbor's farm when they you know they if they want technically if they wanted they could probably go there every day and watch it grow up and eat you know mm -hmm. if you wanted to so a lot of people makes them feel better knowing that too so sure there's yeah. i mean there's a lot of folks that are interested in the store you mentioned the farmer's yeah. market i think that's that's a lot of the draw yeah. to those Absolutely. scenarios is they want the story that's behind <clears throat> And I don't blame them. I mean, we take that kind of stuff for granted. I've had beef that was from our farm in the freezer since I was a little kid. You take it for granted because it's always been there. That's if right. you don't have that, I think then you do you do strive and you do look for that story a little bit. And freezer space is a, a question when you do this also. Yeah, no, that's a good point. <laughs> and freezers became really hard to access also. So. Yes. Yeah. If you're going to plan this out, you do need to plan to have a freezer to fit the size carcass that you end up with. So right. if you end up with 700 pounds of meat, you have to have a freezer that will hold that, which yeah. is a 
I don't know, 15 cubic, 18, It's a pretty good size. 17, yes. I was going to say, it's yeah. a pretty good size freezer. Sure. Yeah. So um, do you worry too much? And you mentioned that the length of time can vary quite a bit to get them to that target weight. Do you worry too much about trying to stretch them? I know for a while there that um, some of the wait times to get into the locker were so long that it ends up being where it's like, well, you don't want to push that animal because it's going to get Correct. really, really big on you. Are you worried about that too much? Like if you, maybe you left them on grass for longer, so they would kind of slow down on some of their, you know, on, on getting, gaining that. Are you worried about that age at, at kill very much or? <laughs> Not necessarily. No, it depends on how far you're going out. Well, right. Um, Within reason, I guess. Yes, but, but yes. Can you hold them, background them longer? Sure. Okay. We can stretch things smaller. We can gain a pound and a half a day versus two and a half pounds. You know, yeah. we can slow sure. those gains down right. and still have a quality product. Okay. Your most intent deal is going to be on that last final phase of like say a hundred days of what I like to see is full corn on the last hundred days to have a nice marbled quality, juicy piece of beef. Okay. Okay. Is so that what you're asking me? Yeah, that's what, okay. that's what I want to get to. Yeah. Um, but kind of talk me through, you said full corn. So talk me through what the difference would be, I guess. Some people have never had grass-fed beef. I'm sure you've had both. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and obviously some of this is, some of this is opinion, but there's, there That's is, right. there yeah, are actual facts. Better. There are actual facts in what you're going to see from a, from sure. a, a pers- meat perspective, I guess. Sure. on that. Grass-fed beef is going to be a lot leaner. Um, the fat is going to tend to be a little more darker yellow in color instead of a white color that you might see on a normal um, corn-fed animal. Okay. A lot less marbling. Okay. So that leans um, juiciness, um, tenderness sometimes, things like that. But now I'm not going to cut out all grass-fed beef because there are people raising grass-fed beef that are doing a great job and doing a fine job of processing. But if you're not... If you don't know how to do that, that's not a good process to start right off the bat. Right, right. I would suggest trying this other route first. Yeah. So most most normal commercial beef that you, let's say somebody would be used to buying from a supermarket, that is long-term finished in a feed yard. Yes. So um, you're not going to finish an animal completely on grass and end up with what you are used to buying from the grocery store. I guess that's kind of right. what I was kind of sure. swinging around at. And so some, you know, if it's somewhere in the middle, you could maybe change that, you know, either change the ration or change your time frame. But, but kind of what you do at the end there, you said is going to significantly affect kind of what that's going to be. Yes. And how you're doing that is very important because you need to keep your animal with feet in front of it at all times. You don't want your um, bunks or whatever you're feeding, how you're feeding to run empty because you could cause, you can have a disaster. So, I mean, you can have issues that if you throw them off feed um, by not having feed and you run out and you go, you, you could bloat an animal or cause acidosis. There's things that can happen when you're in okay. your backyard. So my main thing is that you need to talk with somebody about nutrition and how to handle these things and keep feed in front. You're finishing a light, when you're finishing a, a beef, you have to make sure there's feed in front of that animal at all times. Okay. And keep them on full feed. That's kind of my main thing. When we're in the backgrounding phase, when the smaller calves from 5 to 750, 500 pounds to 750 pounds, you can feed them each day by hand feeding them at different times. But when you get into that final finishing in, there needs to be feed in the trough all the time. Okay. They need to have 24-7 access, basically. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And so whenever they're hungry, they have the ability to eat. Yes. Okay. And then you don't um, spurge them and you don't have issues. Okay. And so it, you mentioned bloat. Is that kind of the main thing that you're concerned about at that point? Or is, are you messing with kind of their gain? Uh, yes. You will definitely throw them off feed and it'll take a while to get them back on feed. Because okay. when okay. we start these animals, it takes three weeks to get them um, acclimated to a diet and okay. go in the way we want them to go. I got you. And if you, you do the same thing, you're going to throw them off and you're going to have three weeks or something or more sitting there. I got you. So any thoughts on, I mean, I, if you're sending somebody to sale for, to get a calf, for, for example, um, a lot of times you might be able to come away from that sale with a, with a heifer calf cheaper. And so Correct. that may be attractive to some people. Is, sure. Do you have any thoughts that, I mean, I've, okay. I, you know, any thoughts on one versus the other? Not necessarily. Cause I have fed a lot of heifers in my lifetime, <laughs> which we've discussed has been a long time. <laughs> but anyway. I wouldn't go say that. <laughs> I wouldn't go say that. <laughs> but, uh, Cause we used to do that for that very reason, because we could buy heifers cheaper. Sure. Yeah. But heifers require a few more days on feed and um, their rations steers turn at a better rate of gain than heifers do typically. Okay. And, but steers will cost you more per pound in up front. But as far as the meat quality, I can feed you a heifer that's as good as a steer. Sure. As, as, and there's many of them done every day. But yes, right. you will have a few more days on feed. But yes, can you get that a little lower price? Yes. Okay. If you are buying, um, just one more thing. I, I, uh, I think we've covered this pretty well. But if you're buying a, a calf from, say, a neighbor or, or a sale barn or something, is there anything that... Um, that kind of needs to be done kind of back earlier in that life cycle. Um, is there anything you're thinking about through that as you're trying, as you're working that animal upward in the weight categories um, or just kind of turn them out there with the rest of your cows? Yeah. Like maybe, you know, you know, some we th- talk about sometimes early on, we give, you know, give a hormone to um, like an implant, an implant or anything you know, like that. something is, is that beneficial during the background phase or, you know, um, definitely. aspect? Um, or does that, you know, does that turn some people off even? Okay. I guess it depends on where the market is that you're going to go with your beef. Yep. Okay. So if um, you're raising it for yourself, then that's your own personal choice. And if yep. you want efficient beef, then by all means, use an implant to stimulate the growth. And by all means, use Rumensin or Bovitec products in there because that also will help you with your rate of gains and help also ward off some minor disease type things that could okay. come forward like coccidiosis. It's, it doesn't really claim that, but they definitely work for those kind of things. Now, mm-hmm. if you have issues break out, you're going to have to treat those animals, but sure. those all those products help. But as far as an implant, if you know you're going to sell at the farmer's market, you probably do not want to do those things. You probably want to be able to say these are not hormone Right, you probably want to be able to avoid it for the marketing aspect. And sure, yep, but sure. if it's for you, then do everything you can to get you a quality piece of meat, um, the most efficient way you can. Yes, okay. use an implant like Ralgrow, a short-term implant. Do not use a high dose okay. if you're in the backgrounding phase. Now there are implants that are made straight for finishing phases, and those are all different. There's several different products there too, which would be another question for your MFA livestock person. Okay, in your local area. Okay, yeah. Cool. No, that's good stuff. That's kind of what I was looking for. It's like, do you want, do you want to push something or, or, you know, are there things earlier in the process that can affect, um, what's going on there? The main thing is you want to have a healthy animal and you would like to not treat it for any, um, you don't want to have any outbreaks of any kind. If you can keep an animal on feed and healthy 
And uh, like we have a shield technology product that we can be incorporated into the diet through several things, things like that. Keep a healthy gut, keeps a healthy animal. And you're going to still have a better quality meat when you're done with the entire program, a better carcass, more quality if you have a healthy animal and you don't have to treat them with a high dollar antibiotic. Okay. Right. You know, that's, that's exactly what I think you're just trying to summarize Teresa is, is start them off early and healthy so that you don't have to try to correct any issues when they're in the, you know, Mm -hmm. background, especially the finishing phase is going to definitely help quality. So if you do buy one from a sale barn, you want to make sure that somebody doesn't buy you something that's been cut off of a group. You want a buyer that knows what they're doing, what you're after. Yeah. to get what kind of quality you're looking for. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about the um, the selling parts of it. So if you, um, let's say you just have a relationship with kind of a, a local locker and your neighbor comes up and says that he wants to buy from you because, um, you know, whatever circumstances, worried about another meat shortage, wants to purchase from you. What's kind of the easiest way to go about doing that? Okay, there's different ways you have to um, go about this process on how you sell this animal right. and um, and how the locker operates. If okay. it is a USDA inspected locker, then you have lots of opportunities. If it's not, then you can only sell the live animal. So by quarter, half, um, entire animal, you have to price it live, like so much a pound, right. okay. live weight. Okay. And then that meat's going to go in under that producer's name. So say you sell a half or a quarter to somebody, then that meat gets dedicated to that customer's name and it gets packaged in that customer's name. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so if they're a USDA sponsored locker or inspected locker, then you can come out there and you can then take that meat back to your farm and sell it by the package. So say um, you take the entire carcass back to your house and say you want somebody wants um, some hamburgers, some steaks, or whatever. They can come to you then, and you can sell that by the pound package, however you want to. Does the package have to say USA inspected? Is it? Will the package say that has? Do you know? Yeah, that? it could. It, it can be stamped on there. Yes, or they'll have a ticket. They'll have something yeah. with it. Yes, it'll have package. I couldn't remember. Right. But yes, it should say that on the package. Otherwise, yeah. they because it needs to be sold that way. So basically, if you're looking for kind of those low volume direct marketing opportunities, you're going to have to. Get yourself a relationship with yes. a, if you're going to sell at a farmer's market and yeah. buy the package you will have to have a usda inspected locker right you're going to have to get a relationship with the with the usda facility and they're out there and they're getting more all yeah. the time yeah I, I think there's a you know uh, there's been a lot of grants federal funds even thrown at um at trying to start up some of those smaller and medium-sized yes. processing facilities there's been a lot grant there's been a lot of grant money and a lot of money thrown out there to expand yeah the local yeah. lockers which yeah. is i mean in my opinion a good thing because they oh, kind of yes i'm again what what kind of shit covid showed us was was yeah. possible a possible flaw in our food system that sure. i think um, <laughs> concerns some folks with with their finger on the trigger more so than than us for sure but and where it's coming from yeah, so right. yeah. you can control this and control your quality and know more about what's going on. Right. I right. do it. But even if you're not dealing with the USDA facility, basically mm-hmm. you can take your neighbor who just has his yard and yep. you're basically just selling him the live animal essentially right before it goes to the processor. Yes. And then mm-hmm. he calls them and sets up the processing mm-hmm. and you're good to go there. So. We do this every day. And so it kind of, it gets hard to make it all work out some days, but especially if you say you have five head that you're trying to market to people and then you just 
say, okay, I'm taking this X amount ahead this day, and quarter goes here, half goes this name, full animal goes to this name, and the locker gets it all down, and then they talk to those people about how they want it cut up mm-hmm. and pro- packaged, you know, two steaks here, four, whatever. Yeah. And that's how you can have that ability to package however you want to. It's a great way to buy meat. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the other benefit. Just like, you know, mm-hmm. not only are you knowing where your animals come from, but you kind of have control of how you package it. You know, yes. if you have a family of four and you want two pound packages of hamburger or you want three pound packages, yeah. you know, depending on as most lockers kind of give you guidelines of what they sure. have the ability of, but you kind of get to set what you want. And that's, you can order your steaks cut an inch thick, half inch that's thick. That's right. Yeah. And um, you can have them tenderized. There's lots of options when you get there with a local locker on how you get this processed sure. and how yep. kind of quality you're looking for. Yeah. I just think it's the logistics that, um, that I think maybe would push somebody to the freezer beef, the USDA facility, just because, you know, you've got a group of calves that are going to the locker at a certain date and you've got to make sure, you know, you got to get them sold by that date or, mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, yeah. like it's, there's a lot of logistics of, yeah. of kind of lining everything up, making sure you have an appointment for the right yeah. number of animals. And, you know, you've got, right. you know, either you have some of them that aren't sold or you've got, you know, more sold than what you have that those kind of scenarios. It's, it it's, does happen. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, what's hard for people in, um, it's a great process, but it does take some attention on the details of what we're doing and how many we have and what date we're selling and yep. who they're going to. But it makes a great way to market beef, and it makes a good quality for a lot of people to get their hands on. And since COVID, a lot of people bought from farmers because they had animals standing out there, and they said, hey, can we get one processed locally? And they said, sure. And now, once they've gone that way, they don't want to go back to buying from the store sure. anymore. And so... Yep. A lot more going on every day wanting that beef directly from a farm. So, Teresa, I'm going to ask you a question. You may not know the answer or you may not want to answer it. But um, and I, I just feel like this is kind of critical. I don't know if it's critical, but some people have their own preference on it. So, like, when you take when we take a steer to the locker and we say, you know, Teresa's going to get half of this beef, Adam and myself are each going to get a quarter – Generally speaking, especially the way the lockers are today, you know, you have a hanging time where the carcass hangs for so long. Mm-hmm. I feel like most of the most of these guys are pushing that hanging time a lot sooner. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> but you can request you can request to have it hang a little bit longer, depending on yes. your locker. Um, do you have any? Is there any preference, or you know, is there a typical time? I mean, everybody, it's a preference thing. But is sure. there is there kind of where you feel like it should be? You should have a longer, you know, mm-hmm. hang time. Mm-hmm. And it also, because if the quality of the animal is a player in that, yep. and you know, if it's a lower, then the longer they hang, the better that's going to be. So if you can hang for three weeks, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but they're pushing you sometimes to get that processed a lot sooner than yeah. that. And so you can talk to them and sometimes they can make that happen. Sometimes they don't have the ability to right. make that happen. But yeah. they sure can sometimes. And then and somebody says, well, how do you know what you're getting? Well, when they split an animal at a locker, the locker's pretty good about taking a package here, taking a package here, a package here, and dividing it up evenly across you. that entire beef. But it sounds like a good question to ask. A locker might be what their standard hang time yes, is. Yeah. Definitely a standard. Yes, it is. And what, like, what would you be looking for for like a minimum, you think? I know you're not a meat scientist, but I think you've got no. some experience with yes. this. And sometimes you only get a week, yeah, yeah, <laughs> seven days. And so, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a longer hanging. I like to go longer if you can, but sometimes it's just not possible. Right. 
Okay. So yeah, I, I don't know say, if I can answer that because uh, you have to talk to your locker. That's right. And, Every locker is and, different. Uh, I, I mean, I know that. I don't want to tell them to go in a locker and tell them, I want my beef to hang three weeks because that's not always possible. That's right. <laughs> today's today's in a day and yeah. age, yes. Asking for 21 day hang is a very difficult challenge. And definitely challenge. not when it's deer season. That's right. <laughs> right it's a very difficult yeah. challenge. I mean, yeah, that's a, a lot of people, that's probably their preference is 21 days, you know, that 21 mm-hmm. days or so. But I mean, if you can push a locker to 14 days, that's better than seven days. Sure. Yeah. I agree with that. So like moving on to, um, I think some people have picked up kind of, uh, going back to like some dirt pork too. I mean, I know, uh, some folks have, have, you know, sectioned off a little lot in their farmyard and went and found some nursery pigs and, um, any differences? I, I mean, obviously, there's quite a few differences in what um, what you're looking for there. Is what do you think about sale barn pigs versus trying to find something locally? There's a little bit different there. It, difference in that I think availability becomes more of an issue um, on the swine side of things. We just don't mm-hmm. have the number of pigs in private production that we used to. If you're going to raise some in your backyard, I would suggest buying from somebody that's raising pigs outside. Um, okay. Instead of going directly from a nursery or an inside facility to an outside facility, you can okay. do it. It can, it can, you can make that work. But there's a lot of people that are raising pigs outside specifically for this kind of a market. So you're worried about taking a confinement pig and sticking them out in a lot somewhere. Depends on what time of year you're doing this. Sure, if right. It's a, you know, depending on what time it is, it you can make, it can always work, but you got to get them acclimated. Okay. And, that and so that's going to slow things. I, I would yeah. assume in a growth stage scenario, that's going to slow things down a little bit as they right. either run out there and are super cold or they run out there and they get sunburned or something. Yeah, requirements are there. You need shelter for, you know, I everyone needs some shelter from elements. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. On the beef too. You know, if it's in the winter months when you're feeding out your animals, you know, you want to be able to get away from this, the elements if you can. Right. And so, you know, a windbreak or if you don't have any kind of overhead facility, some kind of a windbreak for at sure. Least, at least a windbreak. Yes. Right. And, right. And pigs are easier because you can put a self-feeder out there and they will take care of their self a lot easier. And it's okay. not as intent of a program as a steer. And you can't throw them off feet as bad as a steer. Okay. But uh, so pigs are definitely an easy project for someone to raise in their backyard. There's no doubt. Maybe a good starting point for somebody. Mm -hmm. But um, any thoughts on like, are you, do you typically feed them the same kind of ration about this the entire time? Or is there times where you mix that up one way or the other? Depends on how small they are when you get them. Okay. But once they get up to 150 pounds or uh, 100 and Let's just say if you buy a bigger pig or if you buy a 100-pound pig, you would maybe only have to have a couple of changes, and that's it. The rest, okay. you could stay the same the okay. entire time. Okay. For the um, most part. Right. Right. Are you worried about those animals? Like if, if you've got the ability to, I mean, put them out on some on ground. I mean, obviously, there's some fence implications here with with, <laughs> with, with pigs versus, uh, versus a steer. But if they've got the ability to go out and, and, and do some grazing or some moving around, are you worried about that at all, or just you're just leaving <laughs> leaving with right. the self feeder type thing where they can yeah. always come back and have feed? Well, when you say hog type fence, there's not really one, <laughs> but um, yeah. yes, hogs yeah. they can get out easily. Sure but, they can. Um, so yeah. yes, concrete is your best friend. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. they can and they will stay. Nice hot wire works too. <laughs> but yeah, no, that is something that uh, you know hot wire does work on on pigs pretty well. Mm-hmm. So. But no, um, pigs are generally easy 
That's why you'll see a lot of 4-H projects and FFA projects. They start with a pig because they're a lot easier to raise and take care of. It's just the handling of making sure your facility will hold them in because they, they can get out a lot easier. Okay. Um, did I lose track of what you were asking? No, no I don't um, think so. Okay. And what, um, what time frame are you typically... Um, again, give me a like kind of a target weight and a time frame to get there. So like say I, you know, say I go buy like a, a nursery stock pig from, like you said, an outdoor facility, mm -hmm. something that's, you know, maybe 50 pounds. How long is that going to take me to get? Well, let's just say if your pig was born in uh, February, you're going to be finished by July. Um, okay. And also depends on how hard they're pushed too. But right. So it's like most, um, let's just go with 4-H FFA projects. Most of those pigs are being born in January, February, and then that child is feeding that animal out. And you can also go to a local 4-H FFA sale and buy one of these animals, steers and pigs, both. Okay. Goats, rabbits. There's a lot of animals that you can actually purchase from a 4-H or an FFA sale. Okay. And check them. I'm going to get you segued here a little bit. Um, my main goal is when you do buy from a like a 4-H or FFA sale is that if the animal is not quite finished, you ask that owner to maybe take it back home and finish it for you because not all animals make it finished at that time based on just how it's been handled or something's happened during that time frame. And they're usually willing to work something out with a buyer okay. to make something arranged on that. I got you. And I kind of got you off track. No, no, that's fine. Back. So obviously money going to a good cause there, but just kind of mm -hmm. make sure you know what you're getting and don't don't expect to just throw it straight on your trailer and haul it straight to the locker type scenario. Always. Again, if you're going to do that, you know when those sales are, you have an appointment. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. and that one's an easy one because if you know that sale is July 24th, you have it scheduled with the locker Yeah. in that same time frame. So, right. Right. Those are ones you can predict a little easier on if you want to go buy something locally okay. from a kid and help a cause, send yeah. a kid to college, whatever. Yeah. Um, you can do that because yeah. a lot of times buyers are there to help a kid along with this project, but they don't want the animal. Yeah, They're that's just, right. And so you can actually end up buying a um, an animal from those areas with a, with reasonable it's a good thought process. So I sure. know that's not where we were at because no, we we're talking a, about finishing I, in our backyard, but it's also Great and advice. Idea on the, for somebody. On the on the pig side of things, I guess the only the only thing question I had or comment I had or something to think about, I guess, was it's fairly quick turnaround, right? So you yes, said very February. Quick. Pig to, is very pig. Yeah. Or quick. You can turn them in three months, you know. Yeah. And are what weight are you looking for usually in that? Depending on the um, breed, but for the most part, you're gonna be two eighty, three hundred. That's where I would try to be. Okay. Once you get over you can go over 300 we've had some 350 pounders before but they're going to have a lot of fat on that meat right a lot, a lot more trim yeah and things on there and okay. so i would you know perfect animal i don't know 300 pounds okay 290 okay all right and so you're almost you're probably almost always going to want to have sounds like a locker appointment before you even purchase that little baby pig at that at yes. that time frame that Correct. you kind of said there mm -hmm. Although you can get a, you can slip a pig in a lot easier than you can a steer. That's true. Because <laughs> they don't have yeah. to hang. So a pig can be processed immediately. And so they will, you can get a pig processed a lot easier than you can a beef. As far as requiring an appointment yes. Yes. Out, out ahead. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. A lot more flexibility there. Yes. Good. Okay. Now they're going to ask you whether or not you want your ham skewered or bacon skewered. So that's a personal deal because yeah. I'm a personal, I cure everything, but 
that's things that they'll ask you when you're processing the pig. That's something different that you'll have to know how you want to do that. If you want them cured or not cured, or sure. if you want a salt cure or sugar cure, there's a lot of different right. options you can have on those too right. at the locker also. And there's no differences in the kind of the direct marketing thoughts of, of on that process either, right? I mean, it's, it's same, the same thing. USD, yes, yeah. has to be inspected. I got you. If you're going to sell by the package, it has to be inspected. Plant. Okay. If you're selling a half of a pig or something like that, then again, you can go back to the old rules. You can sell a, a live weight or however you want to go. But if you're going by the package and you see a lot more pork at the farmer's markets than you do beef some days because a lot more people are doing the... Yeah, probably less land area, I guess. Yes. Less less kind of initial cost into trying to get into some of that yeah. direct marketed stuff. There. Shorter time period. Yeah. And yeah. Things like that. When all else fails, go to the Missouri Department of Ag website and look at some of these things. Yeah. And uh, that one will help you answer a lot of questions to things. And it'll also answer the questions about the beef and the pork and everything else you process and how you sell right. it is on that website. So if you're thinking about trying to raise something to sell locally, I would yes. you know, just make sure you mm -hmm. check on the rules and regulations before you market something. Make sure it's labeled correctly. If it's got to have a, you know, some sort of specific label on it for retail yeah. sale or whatever, make sure it's got that. What other thoughts? I, I think the, the tip about checking the, the uh, Department of Ag website was, was a very, very good one. What other kind of any other general thought processes on this? this I'm not whole... sure you can't find a list of um, people who are selling on there also. Okay. You know, that are off the farms and lots of places now. There's a I local listing. I feel like Farm Bureau, I know, has, mm -hmm. I think, has a, a kind of a direct market um, mm -hmm. list possibly as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's a good tip too. Anything else that um, we've missed or that you wanted to make sure you mentioned or um, on this process, Teresa? No, nope. it's a great way to raise your own healthy quality meat and know where it came from and provide it to other people. And we have the resources at MFA uh, local at your location near you with their livestock people, their livestock specialists and things that can come help you with these rations on individual basis. Make sure you have what you need and to make sure that um, the ration is where you need for the animal that you're going to work with. And yeah, that's the biggest thing is that yes. it's, it's hard to paint some of these situations. And we deal with this on the agronomy side all the time too. It's hard to paint some of these situations with a broad brush right. when they're specific cases and, and you have animals of a specific age and specific yes. questions. And so I think that's, that's a great tip, just getting somebody who knows what they're talking mm -hmm. about to, to take a look at what you've got and give you a, just a, a solid recommendation. You there. We're happy to help you. Yeah. And everybody always thinks that we don't have time for the little guy, but we do. Yeah. We're happy to help yeah. you get started in raising some quality beef. Well, in a lot pork. of the cases, we are the little guy. And so yeah. uh, that's, those are the ones that we almost enjoy the most sometimes. Sure. So. Sure. <laughs> we have but. lots of options on feed and how to get it. So. Cool. Uh, Teresa, thank you so much for taking the time to come in here and do this today. Well, so. I hope it was good and I appreciate the time. Is this the first podcast you've ever done? Yes. <laughs> Look at that. No, it was great, Teresa. Yeah. Okay. No, it was a good topic. Great, great information. And, and like I said, we, we certainly appreciate your time. So thanks again, Teresa. And thanks everybody for listening. Yep. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.